Good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning and to spend some time together in God's Word. We'll be continuing our series, Questions Jesus Asked, and today we'll look at a famous question Jesus asked in Mark chapter 5, who touched me? But before we get into that passage, I would invite you to think for a moment about the idea of rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions. Uh, Oxford defines these as the questions that you ask in order to create a dramatic effect or to make a point, but not necessarily to elicit an answer. Sometimes we use rhetorical questions in a humorous way like, hey, dad, why do you drive on the parkway and park in the driveway? Or a frustrated parent might look at a child and say, what were you thinking? We don't actually want the answer to that question. We're just trying to make a point. In my first example, it's a, it's a humorous rhetorical question. And in my second, just trying to express a thought or to teach something. We find rhetorical questions in Scripture, too. Just as we do today, the ancient writers used this technique to make a point or for dramatic effect. So in Psalm 13, David asks, How long, O Lord? Or in Psalm uh, 35, he says, Who is like you, Lord? And the Apostle Paul also used this technique. We see it particularly in the book of Romans in chapter 8. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Another rhetorical question. And Paul goes on to ask about seven more in that same passage of the text because he's trying to make a point for the audience. Jesus used rhetorical questions too. Have you not read the Scriptures? And then as we look at Mark chapter 5, our sermon text this morning, who touched me? So as we get ready to look into God's Word this morning together, I've got a question for you, and this is actually not rhetorical. We have a champion, a victim, and cynical bystanders in the story we're going to study this morning. And I would ask you to think about this as we're going through the, God's Word. Where do you find yourself in this story, and how does this story connect with my experience today? That's, that's something, that's your homework. I want you to be thinking about that as we spend this time in God's Word. And so let's now take a look at the second half of Mark chapter 5. And, and the backstory, we have this engaging narrative. Of Jesus has been across the Sea of Galilee. He's cast demons out, and he's gotten on the boat, and he's traveled back across the Sea of Galilee to the western shore. And, and that's where our story picks up this morning. And there's two stories that are actually mixed in together. We have sort of story one, and then sandwiched inside story one is our story, and then story one wraps up afterwards. And so it begins with Jesus returning across the lake from the east side to the west side. And as he gets off the boat, there's this massive crowd of people that have been waiting to speak to him, to see him, to watch what he's going to do, to see if there's going to be a miracle, to see if there's going to be healing. And there's two people in that crowd that are particularly significant. One is an establishment guy. He's a leader of the synagogue. He's wealthy. He's well-known in the community. People respect him. People hold him in high regard. And then there's a woman, she's an outcast, and she's got no friends, no connections. She has an affliction that won't heal. And these two people are also waiting for Jesus as the boat comes in. Jesus steps onto shore. He begins to make his way through this crowd. 
And the man approaches Jesus, and he does it easily. His name is Jairus, and as he walks, people give way. They step aside. They let him through, and he comes before Jesus, and he gets down on the ground in front of Jesus, and he says, my daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her, and she will be made well. And so Jesus agrees. He sets off behind this man. Jairus is leading them through the crowd. And people are pressing in around and they're, they're all, all close together and they're kind of trying to, you know, make their way through this mass of people. And right then, that brings us up to the setting of this morning's story. Jairus and Jesus and the disciples working their way through the crowd. And the scripture passage begins in Mark 5, verse 25. It's on the screen and I invite you to follow along. Now a woman suffering bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors, and she'd spent everything she had, and she was not helped at all. And on the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. And instantly her flow of blood ceased. And she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. But we need to focus on a couple of details here, so let me, let me list them off for you. First, the woman had endured much at the hands of physicians and, and was much worse off as a result of all of that. In a time before modern medicine, she'd been poked, she'd consumed potions, she'd been prodded, she'd been embarrassed, she'd been further injured, and none of this had helped her situation. And additionally, She'd spent everything she had, and she was completely impoverished. Absolutely nothing to her name, and she'd been bleeding continuously for 12 years. And now I'm going to tell you some things that aren't in this text, but are in Scripture. Leviticus chapter 15 tells us how you're supposed to respond to somebody that's bleeding. And it says, if you are bleeding for any reason, you are the Hebrew word is tame, unclean. You are an unclean person. And additionally, according to law, anything you touch is also made unclean. Anybody who touches you, they're unclean. Any surface you touch, that's unclean. And once you've been in contact with somebody who is tame, unclean, the law prescribes a bathing process a washing process, a cleansing process, and then an isolation time before you can rejoin society. But this lady's condition won't end. And so she's been perpetually tame, perpetually unclean for more than a decade. A flow of blood that won't end all day, every day. And as a result, she's been forced to live in isolation. She can't touch other people. Nobody's going to give her a hug. She lives alone. She eats alone. Nobody will share food or a mealtime with her. Merchants don't even want her money. She cannot attend weekly synagogue, so there's no communal worship. She cannot enter the temple in Jerusalem, so there's no festivals. And with no community of faith and no worship and no human contact, she is good and truly outcast and alone. And after 12 years of bleeding, she's almost certainly anemic, so low energy, low strength, and it's a tough, tough situation. And the text continues, immediately Jesus realized that the power had gone out of him 
He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched me? And his disciples said, you see the crowd pressing all around you and you're asking who touched me? Who touched me is the question this morning. Let me pause that for a second. Have you ever experienced rejection? To be found unworthy of relationship? For somebody to see you as lacking in value? I mean, I haven't. I I, I haven't. I can point to some difficult chapters in my life. I can identify some broken relationships. I can identify some hard things and some hard lessons. But I have a a role in some of those. I caused some of those. I'm, I'm the agent of some of those problems. And that's not at all like the woman in this story. She didn't cause her condition. She couldn't stop her condition. She had no ability to deal with her condition. And so at first glance, I don't know if that many of us can understand this woman. I don't know if we can understand first century rejection. I don't think we can begin to understand her experience. Or maybe we can. Maybe we haven't experienced rejection quite like that. Maybe not to that degree, but if you've had to deal with a learning disability or a chronic health condition or a mental health challenge or unrelenting physical pain, perhaps a physical challenge that causes isolation, maybe just a little bit we can begin to understand See, this is not a matter of whether your circumstances are as bad as the woman's in the story. The question is whether you can identify with part of what she experienced. Just part of it. And so maybe you might know what it means to be marginalized, or maybe you might know what it feels like to be rejected, or for somebody to perceive you as not having worth, or maybe having to live in isolation. Because that's really the situation we're talking about here in this story. The woman's condition was horrid, and the underlying factors were marginalization, rejection, being without worth, and isolation. And and those things transcend time and place and culture. See, if you can't personally identify with exactly what she went through, though, I'll bet every one of you has a parent or a friend or a loved one somebody else in your life who knows exactly what some of these things are. Because that's what it means to live in a broken world. And that's part of our human experience. And and you know that God designed us for relationship. And so when that's taken away, the desire for restoration can be very, very strong. And so the rest of this passage has a beautiful message of grace, and and I want you to see it as it unfolds. So let me invite you to go back to the text with me now. We left off with Jesus asking, who touched me? And his disciples being no help whatsoever. In fact, Scripture says his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in against you, and yet you say, who touched me? And on a bit of a side note, the Gospel of Luke also has this story. And Luke names Peter as the one who said this, and that's not too hard to understand because Peter likes to talk first and think second. But 
As I mentioned in my opening, we had a victim, we had a champion, and we had some cynics on the sidelines. These are the cynics on the sideline. And, And they feel like, Peter feels like, Jesus is wasting time and he's focused on the wrong thing and they got something to do and they got a place to be. But I digress. That's The point is, the crowd has gathered in. Jesus is moving slowly through the mass of people and this woman reaches in around this person, past this person, reaching as, as, as Jesus goes by and touches his cloak. And power flowed from Jesus into her. And Jesus felt it happen. There's a mural that fills the wall in the chapel at Magdala in Israel. Some of you have seen that that image recently, and you can see that hand reaching just through the crowd, capturing that touch. And then we get to Jesus' rhetorical question of the morning, who touched me? And I'm certain it was a rhetorical question. The, The same Jesus who met a woman at the well and knew her whole story and how many husbands she had is the same Jesus who told Peter, you're going to deny me three times before he even did it. Jesus for sure knew who touched him. He knew why she touched him. He knew of her affliction, and he knew that she was already healed. And the text continues, but he was looking around to see who had done this. And the woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. This this woman who'd spent a decade apart from society, she would have done anything for healing and restoration. And so confident, so certain was she in Jesus' ability to heal from the things she'd heard, from the things she'd seen, what others had told her, that she reached through the crowd to touch him. And remember, church, it wasn't even legal for her to approach him and talk to him, much less touch him. But understanding her circumstances, we understand why she touched Jesus, and the passage says the healing power left him and cured her. And yet Jesus knew something she did not. So focused on the problem she had in that moment, on that day, given all that had happened in the past, so intent on touching Jesus, reaching out, touching the corner of his his garment, and then slipping away that she had not given any thought to what happens tomorrow. See, if Jesus had let her slip away, tomorrow would have been a very, very complicated day for her. Because first, she'd have to convince a whole community who's known her, known her condition, knows all about that situation because people talk and gossip, that after 12 years of being unclean, she's suddenly healed and ready to be part of the communion and she'd like a hug. And the town is going to want an explanation for that. The other tomorrow problem is that she's going to have to admit that she snuck through a crowd of people, touching a whole bunch of people as she went, and put her hand on a famous rabbi, which means she broke the law. And everybody she touched, including Jesus, would have been made instantly unclean. Nobody's going to believe the first thing she claims, and they're going to be really, really mad when she tells them the second part. You see the issue here? For her sake, Jesus could not let 
her go. She needed the healing that only Jesus could provide, and she got it. He, his power went to her, but now she needs a messenger. She needs a credible messenger. She, she needs a champion who touched my clothes. As much as anything else, that phrase was an invitation to her. Jesus, Jesus could have just made eye contact, given her the chin nod and sent her on her way. She could have slipped off, disappeared, and that would have been the end of the story, but that wouldn't help her with the tomorrow problems. She still wouldn't have any credibility around town, and although she's physically better, she'd still be shunned by the community because they wouldn't believe she was suddenly made well. So Jesus asked a question that wasn't a question. And with a huge crowd of people looking on, and everybody trying to see what's happening and see what Jesus is doing and, 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 and hear what he has to say, the text says, the woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before the Lord and told him the whole truth. Whole truth. Emphasis on the whole part. Because she's got to tell the truth about her condition. She's got to tell the truth about her circumstances. She tells the truth about the doctors who took her money and the cures that didn't work and the rejection she felt and how, how what she had to do to live and what she had to do to survive because that's the whole truth. And, and then Jesus, this Jesus who'd been teaching throughout the Galilee region, the one who preached the Sermon on the Mount a while back, the, this woman knew a good bit about Jesus. She knew what she'd heard and she had faith absolutely confident that if she could just touch the hem of his robe, that would heal her. And so there in front of everybody, Jesus makes the public pronouncement that solves both of her tomorrow questions. Daughter, he says, verse 34, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction calling her daughter in a public place with all those witnesses, communicated acceptance, and she's instantly changed. In that moment, she goes from nobody to somebody. She goes from someone without a name to somebody with a name. She goes from nothing to status. Calling her daughter means she's been forgiven for the unclean touch. Calling her daughter means she's worthy of his time and his attention, and publicly declaring an end of her affliction, well... That handles the other tomorrow problem, because if Jesus says she's healed, nobody's going to argue with it. it. Took a lot of courage to come forward, and a lot of courage to stand in front of Jesus and tell him the whole truth. See what this woman needed in that moment, at this pivotal point in the story, was a champion, somebody with credibility and standing and respect, somebody who says, "I see." You, I accept you. I, I know you. I, I love you. And that's actually the high moment of this entire text. It's, it's, it's the apex of the story because it wasn't the stealthy touch and it wasn't the rhetorical questions. It definitely wasn't the disciples over here not helping. It, it wasn't the miraculous healing. Although that was important, the big moment in this story is when Jesus steps forward to be the champion of someone in great need. Jesus provided what she desperately craved, restoration in the community. As the Lord of 
yesterday and today and tomorrow, Jesus knew what she'd experienced. He, he knew why she did what she did, and, and he knew what she was craving and that she was trying to recover community, and so he met that need in that moment for all time. And church, what do we, what do we do with this story? A couple of observations. Faith is a lived experience. It's an active thing in our lives. And by this, I mean faith takes action. This woman pushed through the crowd at great risk in order to approach Jesus. And faith requires confession. And I don't mean public confession of sin. I mean this woman confessed in front of everybody that Jesus could heal. Jesus had power. Jesus had authority. And then that faith led to wholeness. And and that's how it always works. Faith leads to wholeness. It's never the other way around. You, you can have faith in Jesus, but you have to do that first. Otherwise, it's just a transactional thing, and Jesus is not interested in that. You don't, you don't get wholeness and then decide to put your faith in Jesus. You have to take a step of faith first. And for this church here, Dunwoody 2023, what is this for us? What do we do here? And that is a rhetorical question, but I'm going to answer it. it. It depends on how you see yourself. What you do with this story depends on how you see yourself in the story. If you identify with the woman in the story and you, you feel those things in your life that are broken, things that are hard and things that um, are difficult, you feel a sense of rejection, I would tell you that based on this story, we know that Jesus loves you, that he has power to help you reach wholeness and that He can restore brokenness whatever you're going through. You follow the same pattern. You you take an action. You confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus has the power to heal, and then you begin to experience some of the wholeness that He has to offer. Three small steps of faith. And if you don't identify with the woman in the story, you can still be a champion for somebody who does. Somebody else who knows about brokenness, you have the ability to minister to them to intervene in their lives in a way that brings them into a wholeness and a relationship with Jesus, to guide another person towards restoration. I heard something powerful on my last trip to Liberia. really stuck with me. It was in the middle of a devotion time, and one of our teammates um, in Africa said, I must tell you, brothers and sisters, there is no testimony without first having a test. No testimony without test. It was such a simple comment, and yet I'm still thinking about it six months later. Imagine for me, if you will, what this woman's testimony must have been in the days after she touched Jesus' robe. After this encounter with Jesus, in the, in the people she would come in contact with and, and the conversations that she would have, imagine what her story meant to others in the margins. And Imagine what her story in Scripture meant over the centuries as other people read this story, came into a relationship with Jesus, and began to see that Jesus has the power to heal and the power to restore. Imagine how this story speaks to anyone who feels rejected and alone and broken and outcast and told that you have nothing to offer, people that have been singled out and cast out and called out. The story of this woman lives on in the pages 
of God's Word challenging us and encouraging us, as the Apostle Paul said, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Church, if there's something in this message this morning, something in this story, something that caught your attention, and you're feeling a connection to that, you're feeling unloved, rejected, not whole, um, I would tell you that this church cares for you. I would tell you that this staff, these people in this room, care for you and care for the circumstances that you're in. And I would like to talk to you about that in the next couple of days, just to hear what's going on and to pray with you. And if you're wrestling with who this Jesus is and trying to make sense of the questions that Jesus asked, I definitely want to talk. And lastly, if you're ready for another conversation about what it means to have a closer relationship with Jesus, to grow in a relationship with Jesus, to understand this thing I said earlier about faith taking action and confessing that Jesus is Lord and seeking the fullness that He offers, I, I really want to have a conversation with you. Please don't get in your car and leave today until we talk. Okay? Will you join me in a word of prayer as we close? Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time, this opportunity to see how You have moved in the lives of so many different people, Lord. And I pray for those that we will encounter in the days and weeks ahead, Lord, the people that we will encounter in the community, the people we will encounter on mission trips, the people that we will come face to face with who need a champion, who need somebody who understands, who needs somebody that can point them to You. And so we give You this time, Lord. We thank You for the chance to study together, chance to raise our voices in praise, Lord, and for this sweet fellowship that You've given us. We ask You to bless us as we close in Jesus' name. Amen.